0: are listening to a message from Oaks Church Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. All right, guys, I'm going to read our teaching text for the day. If you want to take your seats. Our teaching text today comes from Matthew 13, verse 52. And it says, He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Been a minute, it feels like. Um, I, I have a question. What's the silliest thing you've ever been envious of? That you're like, I gotta have it. I'm genuinely curious. If there's like one or two who feel brave enough to jump up and just speak into a room full of people, any takers would love to hear it. Silliest thing you've ever been envious of? A retainer. A retainer. (laughs) We're going to need the backstories later. (laughs) Definitely going to need that one. Anybody else? A retainer. That was a high bar. So I I, I understand. I understand. All right. Well, I really want to know, Lindsay. We don't have time. Um, For me, it was baseball cards. And not, not like Mickey Mantle, like, you know, worth thousands of dollars baseball cards, literally just like regular baseball cards. But the context of that was I was in third grade, and uh, we would go out to recess uh, every day, and my friends would have these... Notebooks, of baseball cards. And I started, like, I had to, my parents had to get me some, so I, I had, like, you know, the tops and the gum in it, and I would, you know, it was just, like, Joe Roger, random dude on the athletic ace. You know, this is my prized baseball card. Um, but my friend, he had, like, not just his cards, we had a couple of cards that belonged to his dad. And he would tell us about the cards that his dad had and some that belonged to his granddad that he wasn't allowed to touch and they were like really important and valuable. And I envied that. Like this idea that he had these things that were like passed down and that were like tucked away and he couldn't touch it. There was like this this history. And I was missing that because I didn't have... That kind of history, we didn't have this like long lineage of baseball lovers in my family. This is actually, you know, this is a topic for another day, but one of the the atrocities of the slave trade we don't ever talk about is the separating of people, not just from their their family, but their history of a of a longer story. So a lot of ways, some of that generational gifts were truncated. And so even as a young child, I felt this tension of like, gosh, I am missing that. I am adjacent to something that's like ancient and passed down. So I just really wanted old baseball cards. And it didn't just start there because he would tell these stories about, you know, his grandfather's cards. And, you know, and he had a Babe Ruth baseball card, which I now know is a lie. But at the time, was just like, what? <laughs> this is going <good. laughs> And so as kids do, in the midst of this angst, I would lie. I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, my my granddad has cards, too, and, you know, yeah, I've never, like, seen them. I I think there's, like, you know, the first baseball card. He has it. Uh, (laughs) And I would tell these lies because I so desperately wanted to be a part of this. I wanted a little bit of history. as we're entering our teaching text for today, I kind of entered it through those memories, uh, those feelings of wanting to be grafted into a larger story, right? A continuation of a grander tale. And in my holy imagination, I, I kind of picture the scene that we're in in our text today, and what I surmised that there was this transparently puffed up yes, the disciples give right before our teaching text where in verse 51, Jesus has finished telling them all these parables, and he says, have you understood all these things? And they go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, the good news for the disciples and the good news for us is that the understanding of the mysteries of the kingdom isn't a matter of listening comprehension, but of spirit dispensation. And so before we dive in, I just want to pray that the spirit would give us nourishment through these words and what they have for us today. So would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, you tell us that your words are living and active. We pray that we would see the fullness of that today. Would you unpack your words, the stories that you've told, and the mysteries they contain, and invite us into something bigger than ourselves, bigger than time itself, for the edification of our bodies, our minds, and our hearts, and for the benefit of the world, we pray. Amen. If you're new here, if you're first time, we're wrapping up this series, The Kingdom Is Like. And we're also wrapping up this extended passage. We've been in Matthew 13, which is this, this these series of kingdom parables that Jesus is telling, fresh at the start of his public ministry. And Jesus is giving his first discourse uh, to his new followers and those gathered, not just about his, his considerations of what the kingdom Uh, is like and not his understanding of the coming kingdom of the Messiah. Remember, we have these these Jews who have been long awaiting the promised Messiah. And so there's all these stories. And so rabbis would often be unpacking the text and pointing to what the kingdom would look like. So that was nothing new. Jesus is not just talking about the kingdom, but what makes Jesus unique is that he's specifically speaking to the kingdom. He himself has come to establish as that long-awaited Messiah. And this is revolutionary and altogether weird for those listening. So this gathered crowd of Hebrew people, Jesus starts to tell these stories. First, he's a a sower, scattering seeds of, of the kingdom indiscriminately to all those willing to join. And for various reasons, most won't. And so now their minds are starting to race is what does this mean? And so he tries to rein them back in from trying to ascertain who's in and who's out And so he tells them a story of the weeds and the wheat. And he's trying to help them to rest in the knowledge that in his upside down administration, you're not gonna be able to figure out who's in or who out, but know this, those who have been ordinarily or historically out and those who have been unclean And those who have found themselves ordinary and small, not only are they welcomed in this new kingdom, but they're the active agents of this reign. And then after these, Jesus withdraws into the house, the scriptures say, and he goes and he sits around the table with uh, these, these closest followers, and he gives them even more insight into these puzzles he's been giving the crowd. And then he, alludes, he makes these allusions again to treasures and to pearls and to fish worth keeping, which, if you think about it, is a pretty apt analogy for a room full of fishermen, tax collectors, and moneymen. So he's hitting them in their sweet pot. He's saying, yeah, you're a part of this thing. I value you so much. I have come for you, as Jackie so eloquently told us a few weeks ago. And then there comes, verse 51, that pregnant yes, right? Do you understand these things? Yes. If this was arrested development. Ron Howard's voice would come in and say, they didn't understand. (laughs) We know this because later they're asking all sorts of questions about securing their place in this kingdom. So they didn't really get it. But how could you blame them? How could you blame them for not grasping the mysteries of the universe in an afternoon? But also, how can you not blame them for really wanting to? There's a context here we have to place these people in that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. See, these are now tradesmen, but they weren't always tradesmen. They were once little boys. And when they were five, they started at their local synagogue, their local school, Beth Safir. And so what they did is they began to memorize the Torah, And there was lots of reading and memorization of the scriptures so that they could be grounded in their faith and their view of the world. This would last until they were about 13. And at this time, most of their kids would go back to the family trade. So the sons would pick up their dad's tools, they would take up their dad's nets, and they would would join the family business. But If they were really exceptional at reading and memorizing and writing, they didn't start the trade. They were allowed to go further in school. They did something called Bet Midrash. And what this was, this was a little bit deeper. So they moved past the Torah into the writings of the prophets and the wisdom scriptures. And they stayed for for five years until they were 18, continuing to immerse themselves in the scriptures that girded their society. Now, at 18 you've done really well. You've gotten to like really advance in this cultural bedstone. And now this is about the time where it's time to get married. And so you would go off and you'd find a wife and now you would assume the trade. Unless you were really, really exceptional. In which case you would go further again and you would become a disciple. And by this you would go and you would find one of these itinerant rabbis Right, because there was no, there was no Twitter, there was no, you know, YouTube. Hey, fam, just want to give you some words about the kingdom, right? You had to walk around and tell people what you thought, and so they would come. That would be, I think, that would lessen so many things of our society if we had to walk around and spread the things we wanted to say. Uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> So these disciples would come to a rabbi and they would say, hey, can I follow you? Can I be covered in your dust? I don't just want to know what you know, but I want to, I want to affect your mannerisms. I want to, to attain your posture. I want to see how you eat and I want to eat in that way. I want to become in your image and as your fashion. And if accepted, then they would take a journey and they would start following this itinerant preacher. This would take about 12 to 13 years. So by the time you finished this process, you were about 30 years old. Some had been married, and they would they would confer with their wives, because this was a, a, a patriarchal system. Only the men were allowed. Uh, so some would leave their, their marriages for this time to go follow their rabbis, and they would, they would come back, and that was okay, because this was a very prestigious honor to have made it this far in academia. And then, after these 30 years, some would go back to life but a very select few would get something called samikaha and what this is this is a this is a blessing by other rabbis there were teachers, rabbis. They they, these were ones that were in the local schools, but every now and then you had these rabbis. These are the guys that they had followed. You would be ordained. There, it means kind of a laying-on of hands. You would be identified as someone that has enough promise not just to learn anymore, to begin to teach. You would be vested with the authority to make legal and religious decisions you would then gather your own followers. So you can imagine the first rabbi in the Jewish culture is considered Moses, right? And so for Jesus' disciples who had, who, had, who had fallen out of this, this rabbinical system, here comes a rabbi who's saying to them, I have now grafted you back into this prestigious system And now I'm going to entrust in you and lay hands on you and empower you to become teachers of the kingdom. This is a big deal. So, of course, if you ask me if I understand, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) We'll figure it out later. (laughs) This is why our teaching texts carry so much weight for them and so much weight for us. Verse 52, Matthew 13 says this. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. There's a few things I just want us to sit with. I'm going to have some invitations for us. As we kind of look at this passage the first thing of note is the, is the start of the passage itself in, this, in the context of this wider discourse. See, every parable that Jesus has told that day up until now, he is the focus. God is the focus. God is the sower. God is the woman in the flower. God is the, is the man that finds the treasure in the field. God is the active agent. And now things change in this last parable. The action shifts from God to man. Therefore, every teacher of the law. You guys, I'm talking to you. If you've understood me, here's what you need to know. Some translations don't use the word teacher of the law. They use scribes. And this is an important thing. I think this word kind of better understands uh, what Jesus is saying as he identifies them as scribes. So we have to remember that during this time, there were scrolls and there were like some written texts, but not a lot. And so things happened communally. And anything that was written, well, that had to come at a high price, right? So the writing was highly developed, but writing materials were costly and scarce. And so all manuscripts had to be written by hand by scribes trained in this profession. The scriptures that they based their lives on, their society on, was the result of men who had dedicated themselves to memorization and to transcription. Everything, you know, we have Bibles around. If you need one, we've got like 12 in the back. But then this was a precious thing that someone had given their time and their energy, their blood, to meticulously write down every character, to preserve their faith. So these scribes, not just teachers of the law, but they're administrators of the kingdom. So Jesus is identifying his disciples, the people before him, as the ones who are ambassadors of the kingdom. They are the keepers of the kingdom. But watch now what happens. It's very interesting. The short passage, I want you to observe the positioning of power. As we just mentioned, these scribes, these teachers of the law, these are the people that that, that held together the bedrock of Jewish society. And it took a long time. You have went through 30, 25 years of training before you can be entrusted to become the scribe. And here Jesus says, Therefore, every teacher of the law high position of authority, who has become a disciple in the kingdom. So those who were the most prestigious, the ones who were teaching and been trusted to transcribing for future generations are now in the kingdom learners. They're back in in high school. This is, I think, an important point Jesus is highlighting that the kingdom of heaven is made up of lifelong learners. That we'll never get to a point where all we need to do is write and to tell others. Instead, in the kingdom, those who know the most still come with humility to learn, to sit at the feet of Jesus. So the power transitions, those who have power, they become like students, but these students, these learners, they also have power because Jesus goes forward and he says, these teachers of the law become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, but then he compares them to the owner of a house. And not just the owner of a house, but an owner of a house who has a storeroom full of treasures. So imagine you're, okay, I'm a teacher of the law. Oh, but in the kingdom, I'm a disciple. But that's kind of like being a very rich owner. Now I have tons of power. It's amazing that the humility that's founded in the kingdom is vested with an immense power. This is the imbued glory of God. When we humble ourselves before us, before him, God makes us more than what we were, Right? So we spend so much of our lives running after this kind of anxiety that maybe we're not the special diadems our mother told us we were. <laughs> and we're trying so desperately to believe. And so we're doing all sorts of things to compromise ourselves so that we can we can keep this, this belief that we have this, like, we can do anything and everything and the whole world should, you know, circle around you, my little sun drop. And yet when we read the scriptures, God doesn't have that same view of us. He sees us as, as like dust, but we don't stay that way. He sees us and calls us like insignificant, but we don't stay that way because he brings us into his presence and he entrusts us in such a way, these, these, we are this, these jars of, of clay, these ordinary things. But then he places the glory of the universe inside of it. And so these ordinary things become something immensely valuable. That is where the value comes from. And this is an important point. Because if your value is inherent, then Jesus should have given up something for you. But if your value is not intrinsic, then the fact that Jesus was willing to lay down the the glory of the universe to die for you Well, that says something about him and makes us incredibly more valuable. And it puts the emphasis then on us worshiping him and not ourselves. This is why Paul says in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, gosh, in view of who you are, I give you everything because without you I'm nothing. But with you, I am more than conquerors. With you, I have immense value. With you, I cannot be denigrated, dismayed, or dissuaded to believe that I'm something less than something of ultimate value because in me has been placed the glory of heaven. Last thing I want us to see is the end. Jesus says the owner of a house is what these disciples of his are like, who bring out of, his store, out of their storeroom new treasures as well, as well as old. Jesus is taking this old rabbinical system and making it new. He's using the best, not as determined by might or memory, but by the character of their heart. He's using the willing instead of the privileged. As I mentioned before, this was a patriarchal uh, system. Only men were allowed, and yet Jesus' caravan is for women and children. They come along later when, when Mary sits at the feet of Jesus. The word used there, that phrase used there, she sits at the feet of Jesus, is a description used for disciples. She is a disciple of Jesus. She's into this system. The rich young ruler, he couldn't, he couldn't let go of what was old, the things that he owned. And he couldn't take grasp of what was new. That power was no longer found in your stuff, but in Jesus. So this old system is being made new. And the beautiful thing is, oftentimes when you go into the scriptures, you have to be mindful. Because what we can do is we can make specific promises, general promises. Right? God says to Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you to to grow you and to prosper you, right? And so you can feel like, oh, God's going to prosper me. And then like, you may live a life that doesn't look very prosperous. I'm like, God, did you lie to me? Well, no, he was talking to Jeremiah. (laughs) (laughs) So we have to be careful about how we interact with the scriptures. But in this place, God is talking to his disciples, but he doesn't limit his understanding to them. Jesus starts this last parable with every teacher of the law who has become a disciple. The emphasis is on disciples of the kingdom of God and not converted scribes, because none of the people that he was talking to were teachers of the law and converted scribes. And so he's saying all those high or low, who will make themselves my disciples, well, to you, you are like the owner of a storehouse. And so this means that the, the words and the promise that Jesus is saying about his kingdom is not just applicable to the 12 and the 13 that were before him, but it means for us today, all those who see themselves as disciple of Jesus, we are like owners of vast treasures. A little bit of something old and a little bit of something new. We are this new thing that Jesus was alluding to. God is doing something old in new ways. Uh, Fast forward from third grade, uh, some odd years, and um, I uh, became a father. And uh, my son James, if you are around here long enough, you will see him breakdancing, uh, or just in general screaming, um, uh, but he, uh, my wife and I, we adopted him, brought him home from the hospital, and um, yeah, in view of all this stuff I was telling you about earlier, this kind of like desire for history, I felt like, man, I, I want something that I can pass down him, that I could start something old in a new way. Uh, turns out baseball didn't stick. I, I wasn't really into baseball. Uh, so I, was, I really had gotten into watches. And so I actually bought this watch. And I like worked uh, some side stuff, and I, and, I, and I worked really hard, and I got some extra money. And I made a real investment in this watch uh, because it's mine now, but, but one day it'll be His. And then hopefully it'll be his kids and their kids. And this new thing will hopefully one day become an old thing. Um, and my son, you know, he, he has my name. And so he's, he's, he's already grafted into this story. But also I want him to, to be a progenitor. I want him to carry forward new things in this story. And so I bought this watch and it's just this investment in that. That something old will be new and it'll be together. And so hopefully some years down the road, if the world isn't a ball of carbon dioxide, uh, there'll be some kid with this watch talking about their kooky great-great um, <laughs> uh, who loved them. That's the idea. Jesus is saying, I'm taking something old and I'm doing something new. I feel there are two particular invitations as I was sitting with this passage that I believe the Lord has for us. The first one is a corporate one. So implicit in the storeroom analogy is someone looking in the owner display, right? So we have the storeroom, and he has these treasures, and he brings them out. And so he's showing this, the storeroom owner is showing these treasures to someone, someone looking to possess something. And if we're honest, most of us are here because we're looking to possess something, whether it's community, whether it's a deeper understanding of God, whether it's just like a friend in this chronically lonely city, right? And some of the things that you have found here, hopefully the warm welcome you received when you came in the door, uh, the interest that your neighbor took during the passing of the peace, uh, the meals that have been delivered when you've had your kid, and and the the tears that have been wiped when you were going through heartache, those things that you found in our community, uh, those aren't new. Those are actually the old treasures that were planted here some 10 years ago when people started worshiping in this space. You don't know any of their names. But some of the things that you have benefited from and are benefiting from in this community is because of them and the things that they sowed the things that they passed down and made their way into the culture of the people of God who worshiped here. That's been happening for 10 years. People have been displaying the the kingdom of God in Brooklyn as in heaven. And they've had different names and different leaders, and here we are. For those who don't know, we are a year into a new name and a new leader and God is still doing those old things in new ways. I believe that the invitation for us is to take up our task as those storeroom owners, to display those old things and new things. And so here is my question, what will we seed for those 10 years from now who are in these seats under a different name, listening to someone else who have no clue who any of us are? What will they benefit? What fruit will they eat? That will not happen on circumstance or happenstance. It will come from us being intentional about being a certain type of people and that those things will carry forward. So I believe the invitation for us is to become intentional ambassadors of the kingdom administrators of the kingdom of God. Are you tracking with me? And so here's the invitation. We're going to need people who are going to say, I'm in. I'm committed to ensuring that what people inherit from us 10 years from now is a treasure. And I want to find out what those treasures are going to be, whether it's going to be a a rootedness in prayer, uh, whether whether it's going to be a a radical heart for our community, whether it's going to be a a people of, of radical generosity, of spirit and of time and of energy. I want them to have that. And I'll be a part of seeding it. So here's what I would like... Ben, you, you, you can come up, but you can say, here's, here's what I'd like to do. If you're willing and if you're interested, if you're like, we don't have all the answers. This is not about having the answers. This is about willingness. If you are willing to be one of those people that take seriously the call, to start planting seeds for people 10 years from now. And this is not a commitment. What I'm not asking you and saying you're going you're gonna to commit to being here for 20 years. I'm not asking you that. <laughs> I'm not asking you that. You plant a tree, you, you very rarely get to see the shade from it, okay? That, that's okay. But you plant it. Someone's got to plant it. And so I'm wondering who would be willing. And so if that's you, if you're willing to take seriously a commitment to seeding into the next 10 years, would you just stand, because I wanna pray for you, okay? You can do it now, you can do it now. Not everybody has to, don't feel any pressure. Take it seriously, you know, don't feel, just cause your neighbor stand, you don't need to stand. It's okay to just sit. You're like, I, I'm, this is my first day here. I don't even, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I'm coming back. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. There's this whole discourse I can give about bonding and loosing that if you're in pre-service prayer, you already heard. Um, But Here's what I want to do for you. I want to pray. I want to pray over you that the Lord would give you vision. I want to pray that the Lord would give you faithfulness. It will take both of those things for us to make this community what the Lord wants it to be. Vision to see what he is doing. Faithfulness to commit to it even when it's hard. Okay? So I just want to pray that over you. Holy Spirit, in your majestic temple, Isaiah stood before you and you said, Who will go for us? And he said, Here am I, send me. But right before that, in view of your glory, he was just like shook. And you took your tongues and you anointed him. You purified him. And I would ask that now your Holy Spirit would come and do the same for those standing. Would you search us, O God, and know our broken ways? Would you lead us in the path of understanding? Would you give us vision? for what you're doing here in this community, for how you have gifted us each individually to be administrators of your kingdom, to be scribes of your kingdom. And then will you give us faithfulness, O Lord, because in this world there will be trouble. It will be very hard to be a generous people. It is very hard to be people who can handle conflict It is very hard to be people who not just keep peace, but make peace. So Lord, would you give us faithfulness that we would not grow weary in doing good, but that we would take seriously our call to leave something for those who will feast at these tables in years to come. So would you seal us in your spirit? Would you fortify us in your power? And then would you just put us to work? Jesus' name, amen. You can keep standing. You can keep standing. Everybody can stand for this next invitation. And I just want to say for you that are standing... Uh, next week, we're going to have that serving fair uh, after church. That's not about... Uh, a very reductive view of that is finding volunteers, like, to, 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 to press slides. But that is not... There's something so much deeper in that. What we're trying to do is hold a space where you say, here are my gifts. I want to see. And maybe the way you want to isn't represented next week. And so what we'll have, we'll we'll have a catch-all space where you can just come and be like, yo, I am really interested in teaching people how to move their bodies and understand the glory of God for their bodies. And we don't have anything like that, but that's what he's made me to do, to which we say, praise God, let's figure it out. You got me? So come next week ready to participate and to share. Here's the last invitation. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward for this. The rabbinical system and the Torah it was built upon was never intended to be long-term solutions. I mean, there was good in these systems. God established that there was good in these systems, but they were ultimately failing. And that's not to be despised, but, I mean, they were just lacking and incomplete. And as I was sitting with this passage, I felt that for some of us, we have been in similarly good but ultimately broken systems, particularly, I'm thinking about families. I felt like some of us have have been in families that you... You're not saying your childhood was all bad or that your parents are like evil. There was good things. There was good things in your family, but it was ultimately broken. And you've been carrying the weight of these things and the fear that you're going to keep on in those old ways. And I just had this sense that today That Jesus wanted to say he is doing something new. And while the old things of your family, those good things can persist and carry on, those broken things don't have to. He's fulfilling them in you. He has given you ability to see what was broken and to find the resources and by his power in broken systems. You hear what I'm saying? The stories we tell ourselves. Those disciples in that room, they were part of a long story of sacrifice and rules. And Jesus is saying, I'm doing something new. And I don't know what stories you've been telling, but I just feel like Jesus wants to heal some familial wounds and break some generational bonds. So that's you, these people want to just pray that over you. So I want to invite you to come and just receive prayer for that. I know it may be scary. They're not going to ask you any questions. You don't have to say anything. You can just walk for it. If it's too nerve-wracking to go up to someone because this is like deep stuff, then would you just come and would you just, over here on this, this rug, would you just come and kneel? If you can't, you can't bring yourself to go to someone, would you just go and kneel? And they're just gonna come, and they're just gonna pray the fruit of the Spirit over you, that the Lord would bind up what has been broken, and he would loose love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control over the new stories of your life, amen? You don't got to wait. You can come if that's you. And if you've got anything else, obviously this rug is here to to do with your bodies what the Lord is doing. People are willing to pray with you and listen about anything. But if that is you, will you just come and let us pray with you? And then I just want to encourage you. We have resources in-house and external, and we would love to just point you to those. We would love to just point you to those. So don't let today be a start. This is not the end, but this is a start. This is a start of a new thing. The disciples were the start. They had no clue what was coming when they were in that room. But Jesus wanted to do something new with old things. So that's the invitation. So I'm going to pray for us. And you can come. And then we're going to, in a few minutes, go to the table. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are not bound by old, broken systems. But it is for freedom you have set us free. That you have given us new treasures. That you are breaking generational bonds and chains. Particularly, I feel like there's someone, there's there's been a, a name that was given to you that has been hard to carry. A nickname, it's been... It's it's weighed on you. It's been a stamp on your forehead. And I just feel like the Lord says he wants to give you a new name, just like he did Jacob. You've been wrestling with God. You've been wrestling on this mountain, and it turns out he hasn't actually been, been wrestling you. He's been trying to embrace you. And so today, would you get that new name? I would love to pray for you if that's you. But Jesus, lead us now. Lead us now by your Spirit.